Sometimes people tell me they're discouraged when they think about what the future for the body of Christ is as they think, who will be our next generation of leaders? Well, I am not discouraged because I am with Moody students all the time. Today we're going to talk about launching a leader at the beginning of the program, and we're going to meet one of those leaders. So stay with me. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Ray Jelnick. Moody Radio's Bible study across America. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm the academic dean and professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I am so glad to be sitting around the radio kitchen table with you, taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Now's the time to call. If you have a question and you'd like to call, here's the phone number. Remember, the best time to call is the beginning of the program. That's how you get through. Phone number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Trisha McMillan is our producer. Handling all things technical is Courtney Young. Josie's answering the phones. It's time to go get your cup of coffee. Open your Bible. We're going to talk about the scriptures together, but before we get to the your questions, and even discussing the scriptures, we're going to talk with my guest. Joining me right now is a leader of the student body of Moody Bible Institute. Her name is Esther Thompson, and she's one of my absolute favorite students, and I asked her to join us because Moody is doing a special week called Launch a Leader. The idea of Launch a Leader is to raise $250,000 to help with student aid at Moody Bible Institute. When you give to Launch a Leader, you are giving to get these students through to help them with their finances while they're a Moody student, and then they get out into ministry without debt. We have already a tuition aid uh, program. Everyone gets a tuition scholarship that's a resident undergraduate student. However, uh, they still need to pay room and board. They still have books. They still have fees. And so the best thing to do is uh, to get them through Moody is to help us with Launch a Leader. Hello, Esther. I am so glad that you joined me this morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great, great. Okay, so uh, I, well, I want I people to get to know you. When I was thinking about which student of all the students I could have to talk about Launch a Leader uh, with, uh, with the Open Line audience, I thought my favorite student for them to meet would be <laughs> Esther. So uh, I'm so glad that you joined me this morning. And so uh, here's the question. First of all, let us know, how did you first come to faith in Jesus? So I was raised in a Christian family. And so I first heard the gospel through my parents and I accepted Jesus about the time that I was eight years old. Wow. <laughs> you just heard the gospel and you you prayed to receive the Lord. Is that what happened? I did. I was with my dad on my on my little childhood Winnie the Pooh bed, and we prayed oh, together. Yay. <laughs> That's great. Now, here's the, the, some so often when I talk to young people, they say, I accept the Lord when I was seven or eight or five or even something like that. But they often talk about a special event, some circumstance, something that happened where your childhood faith went to an adult commitment. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, did something like that happen to you, and what was it? Yeah, actually, towards the end of high school, um, I had been dealing with a lot of different things and wasn't walking closely with the Lord. And I had a special mentor in my life who kind of worked me through 
a, a few different things. And there was a specific day that I remember even where I was able to let go of a lot of the bitterness and the things that had been eating me up inside and that I had been used to justifying a lot of ungodly behavior. Um, and that was a day where I, I remember very specifically feeling like the Lord was doing something new in me. Hmm. Wow. And that was when you were in high school? Yeah, right out of high school almost. Wow. So did you come to Moody as a student right away, or did you, uh, did you go to another school first? or no, what, what so, was your, How did you end up at Moody is what I'm wondering. Yeah, so I, after that, I, I, was, I was still uh, at home for a while, and then I came to Moody in the fall. But okay. I've wanted to go to Moody since I was in sixth grade almost. Um, wow. I'd, I'd attended a Founders Week, actually. Um, with my older sister who went to Moody. And that was when I was like, wow, I have got to go to this place someday. Yeah. You know what? I, here's something I discovered. I don't know if you find this to be true because you meet a lot of our, our per, prospective students. Uh, I think when students come to campus, it's not even for one of those days when, you know, we're showing off the school and <laughs> something like that, you know, uh, but Amplify Moody or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something like that. But Students come for Founders Week, or they come for to hear a special speaker, or there's a special conference, a youth conference, or something like that, and they just come on our campus like you did, and they're like, wow, that, mm-hmm. that's something that I really want to do. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to this place. You know, we're going to have uh, just a little, this is just the beginning of it, so I can't give a date yet, but coming up, we're going to have uh, a Defending Your Faith conference, and we're going to have a special youth emphasis. We're going to try and get high school students out to Moody Bible Institute for a day-long workshop on helping them learn to defend their faith. And uh, it's, it's something that I think, I, I said, I'm so glad that we're going to do that, not just because I really want to help young people do that, learn to defend their faith, because we've got great apologetics professors at mm-hmm. Moody. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to getting youth onto our campus because I think once they're here and they see what our student body is like, what what our professors are like, what our campus is like, they're going to say, that's where I want to go to school, just like you did. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, uh, how uh, you're, I know you're a comm major. Yes. Communications Communications major. major. Yeah. Do you have an emphasis in that? Uh, organiza- or? Organizational media is generally uh-huh. the emphasis I've chosen. Okay. Well, here's the uh, the question I have. I don't want you to talk about that. <laughs> Every student comes to Moody and they get a biblical, theological, and ministry skill foundation. Tell me about your experience at Moody specifically uh, in that area, biblical, theological, ministry relationships. Yeah. I definitely think that from the time that I came into Moody versus now as a senior about to leave, the way that I interact with the Word of God and the hunger that I have to even read the Word of God has grown exponentially. It's just throughout the classes that I've been in, the professors have really graciously walked alongside us and shown us not just um, truths in the Word of God, but they've taught us how to read the Word of God, which has been massively impactful on my spiritual life and my relationship with Jesus. So, I mean, I, I think when I look back, I, I have a lot of education. I, you know, obviously, <laughs> master's degree and, 
you know, bachelor's degree at another school other than Moody and a, a master's degree and a doctoral degree. You know, I've got a lot of education, but when people would ask me, what was the most foundational education I received? I always say it was Moody because mm -hmm. I learned how to share my faith at Moody. I learned uh, how to read the Bible at Moody. I got a great overview of the Bible. I learned, I learned the doctrines of scripture and how to defend them. Uh, to me, the majors are great. I loved being a Jewish studies major, mm -hmm. but the foundation we receive, I think that's what makes all the difference. Uh, and and I, I think you've seen that with other students as well, because you've got relationships with students in all kinds of majors, don't you think? Oh, definitely. I think across the board, regardless of what your major is at Moody, all students get the same grounding, which is, mm -hmm. which is really unique to a college, actually. Most colleges, each major learns... They're just specific different things, but at Moody we all have we all have the same foundation, mm -hmm. which builds a really fantastic community as well. Yeah, yeah. The the students are very ministry oriented. Everyone does a practical Christian ministry and stuff. But you have a very special ministry. <laughs> uh, it's to the student body. What what's your role with the student body? So this year I serve as the student body president. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I got to tell you, I. If I could have chosen a student body president last year, it would have been you. Oh. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm so grateful that the student body elected you uh, to this role. Uh, so how do you, what's, what does the student body president do at Moody Bible Institute? Yeah, so basically in my role, we are supposed to advocate for um, students and represent students. Um, and we do a lot of collaboration with leaders at Moody, so with faculty and staff. And we help mm -hmm. kind of bridge serve as a bridge between students and their various um, ideas or concerns and bring that to leadership. And it's, it's really fantastic. I've been able to interact with a lot of faculty and staff at Moody, um, and it's just been a massive blessing and encouragement. Hmm. I'm so glad. I, I think that the students really look up to you and you give them such great leadership. And I, but, you know, you're not there to be the student body president. What you're going to be is going launching into ministry. Mm -hmm. So what do you anticipate when you're done with Moody? Where are you heading? What are you going to do? Yeah, so uh, from an early age, the Lord has really uh, pushed the Great Commission on my heart, the global mission of saving the lost. Um, and mm -hmm. so after graduation, I hope to go in and work with nonprofits, specifically um, focused on unreached people groups and people that have never heard the gospel. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't know which specific ministry that will be, but that's the goal for after graduation. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Esther, uh, I'll let people know. This is the, my, how did I get to know you? You took a course with me. I guess it was a theology elective, but it was a Jewish studies course mm -hmm. uh, called The Holocaust, History of the Holocaust and the Crisis of Evil. And uh, you were, I didn't know who you were, but I remember the very first week I finished the three hours of class. I said, this is what we've done. This is what we'll do next week. And you started applauding and, and the whole class applauded. And I just, I was like, I was ready to, to <laughs> what are you doing? Stop that. But you did it week after week and the class did it. And it was, it was such an encouragement to me to see that students were learning and enjoying it and, and actually 
doing that. Uh, so that that was one of the funnier things that a student <laughs> has ever done. And it was you. It, it was, was you, me. Esther. I, yeah. I believe so. in clapping and things that are worth clapping for. It was a great <laughs> class. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. You know, we, we see what happened on 10-7 hmm. uh, in Israel. Uh, and, you know, I think it's so serious and such a terrible thing because Hamas has an eradicationist policy. They, their charter calls for the elimination of Israel and the genocide of Jewish people around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you think about that, what, what did you learn from the Holocaust class about uh, uh, the obligation of Christians in that area about dealing with anti-Semitism or any kind of genocidal attitude? Yeah, I think that taking the class right about, about a year before these really tragic events was was almost like the Lord preparing my heart in a certain way for the Jewish people that I hadn't had before. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that class really did prepare not only myself but the fellow students I took it with uh, mm-hmm. to be to be people that really, really have a heart for when horrible stuff like this happens to God's people. And so just in the sense of the greater responsibility that Christians have, even as we went through... Um, different Bible passages in that class, like uh, the verse that says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. Mm-hmm. There, there was just a lot we learned in that class that prepared us for when stuff like this happens. So uh, one of the things I have great hope for in terms of Moody students is that they are going to not just go out there and fulfill the Great Commission because God loves all people, but like you, uh, have a special place, special concern to stand with the Jewish people in this time of terrible anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And I thank you for that. I really do appreciate it. Uh, listen, we got to take a break here. But before we do, I want to let people know, if you want to help launch a leader like Esther, the way to do it is contact Moody Radio's Launch a Leader website. Go to launchaleader.org or call 877-910-1981. We need your help to get these leaders out of Moody and leading in the church. And so uh, if you want to participate, remember 877-910-1981. Thanks for joining me, Esther. We'll be right back with your questions. Don't go away. We're back. My name is Michael Rydelnik. This program is called Open Line. Our phone number here, 877-548-548. 3675. Feel free to call with your question about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Now, I want to talk with you about our current resource because this is the last week that it's available. We're going to change resources next week, and I think you don't want to miss getting it if you don't have it. Uh, Although we need to read, study, meditate on God's Word, sometimes people tell me it's a challenge. I understand that. It's a challenge for me, and that's why Pastor Colin Smith wrote 10 Keys for Unlocking the Bible. It's a very small book that gives a very big picture of how to read the Bible. This book can really unlock us, unlock the way we read the scriptures. It'll give us a deeper understanding of the Bible. We'll get more out of our time in the Word. It's a simple and helpful guide for you. And it's yours when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. It's just a way for us to say thanks for your generosity. We really appreciate you. So if you'd like to give a gift, just call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. 
And remember, when you give, be sure to ask for 10 keys for unlocking the Bible. Now we're going to go to the phones. We're going to start with Andrew in Newport, North Carolina, listening on WLGP, I think is what it says. Welcome to Open Line, Andrew. How can I help you? I'm Andrea. I'm a female. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got my glasses off and I was looking at the screen there. I'm sorry. Hi, Andrea. I'm so glad that you're with us. Sorry about missing, messing up your name. Uh, it's not oh, my no, first time um, I've misread something. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, n number one, well, um, so I've tried to get call in before, but never could get through. But I listen regularly Thank to you. you. Uh, I do. And I, um, I've heard your testimony many times. And that has just always just touched me deeply every time I hear you do that. So keep doing that. Oh, um, thank you. Because, yeah, well, I'm 71, and I, I met the Lord, you know, in those, you know, the teenage years of that time period, the mm -hmm. Jesus Revolution movement. I met the Lord during that time, and um, I've actually met Matthew Ward, who's a musician, and uh, wow. the sec, all well, the second chapter of Acts. You know, we're, 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 both, we're both from that uh, Jesus Revolution, aren't we? Yeah, we are, but I just I just have such respect for you and and your love for Israel and I get the Israel I get the um the magazine through Friends of Israel I've been doing that for years and following and I'm so so saddened by what's going on over there now but I know God's in control but I listen very much to what you say about it because the right. media you know the way that they interpret it the anti-semitism uh and and then the other thing that breaks my heart is the uh, the young people, you know, the Lord got me when I was, uh, started working on me when I was 14. And so when I went to Chapel Hill to college, I mean, that was the beginning of um, Josh, Josh McDowell, Campus Crusade, InterVarsity, all sure. kinds of good things were going on. Like you said, the Jesus Revolution. But now on the TV, it's all these young people in secular universities that are protesting against Israel and their response to the Hamas attacks. And it breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. But, Me too. Thank you. God hey, is, let's, let's get to your question now. I, I'd like to help you with that, oh, right, if that's okay. okay. Um, well, it's Luke 2.11. For unto okay. you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I, I just, Bethlehem, you know, I just wanted you to tell me about Bethlehem and City of David, a little bit of history real quick, you know, because I don't understand any of that. Okay. The The reason it's called the City of David is because that's the city that David came from. It's the city of Bethlehem. It was actually a little village mm. uh, at the time. Now it's a city. Uh, but that's, Does that's that mean why he it's was called... born there? Was he, was he yeah. born there? Yeah, he oh, was wow. born there. And so if you went to Israel today, though, and you said the city of David, you wouldn't go to Bethlehem. Uh, in Jerusalem today, what they do is they call the very area where David had first established the city of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which is actually outside of the walls of Jerusalem today, the old city of Jerusalem, just south of it, uh, there's a, a, on the side of the hill, there's a, uh, the ref remains of what was the original Jebusite city that David conquered and made the capital. And today we call that the city of David. However, in the Bible, in the first century, it was 
uh, the city of David was the city of Bethlehem where he was born. And that's why it's called the city of David in Luke 2.11. Hey, thanks so much for your call, Andrea. I really appreciate it. We're going to talk next with uh, Jennifer in Florence, South Carolina, listening on WGNN. Hey, Jennifer, how can I help you today? Hello. Good morning, Dave. God bless you. Shalom. Um, Shalom. My question is regarding how, uh, what is the best and quickest way to get somebody baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Seems to be What's the best way to, to do that? Purpose. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's uh, so difficult. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, thank you. I'll, I'm going to give you my opinion. Okay, and uh, my opinion is not always uh, shared by every believer. Uh, most believers, I think, would agree with me, but there are my, my charismatic friends and some Pentecostal friends that would not. We're going to agree to disagree. I think you're, you uh, probably will disagree, but I'm going to tell you anyway uh, what I think from Scripture. So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. Uh, if you turn in your Bible... You can't just go with this. You got to look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what it says. It says in verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. When Paul talks about all, he doesn't mean all people. He means all believers. Now, if all believers have been baptized by one spirit into one body, what that means is the moment a person is saved, they are automatically baptized by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is the very, very first uh, incidence when a person, and what does it mean? It means to be uh, to be baptized is to be placed into, right, into the body of Christ, the body of the Messiah, and uh, to be immersed into the body of Jesus. And so the moment a person believes, at that instant, uh, when they come to know the Lord, they are, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to wait, you don't have to pray for it, it happens. Secondly. And this is very important. If you keep reading in this passage, it goes to the end and it says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has placed these in the church. And he mentions different gifts and offices. And then he says, uh, he starts asking questions in verse 29. Are all apostles now, the way the Greek construction there is, the answer is no. It's uh, a negative word called may in Greek with the subjunctive mood. It is a question that demands a no answer. That's the best way to describe the Greek construction there. He says, are all apostles? And the answer is no. Are all prophets? The answer is no. Are all teachers? No. Do all have? Do all do miracles? No. All gifts of healing? No. Speak in other languages or tongues? The answer is no. So should all...
answer is no. are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, uh, you don't have to have any evidence of tongues of being baptized because while all are baptized by the Spirit, all are not speaking in tongues. So does that help, Jennifer, at all? You helped me. Yes, you have a... Yeah, okay. At least you heard another view on it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your call. Okay. Thank you. We're going to talk with Flo in Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Flo. How can I help you? And as actually, how do we know that the Bible is scripturally accurate compared to other books of the time, like ancient texts, like maybe the Book of Enoch, the Book of Thomas? How is like the Bible more accurate than other books around it? Well, first of all, uh, the Bible was accepted as the Word of God immediately by the people of God. Uh, ancient Israel, the remnant of Israel, immediately accepted the, the Word of God, at the Bible as the Word of God, the various books of the Bible. Secondly, over time what we see is the Bible is historically accurate, whereas those other books are fanciful and do not have the same kind of historical accuracy. What The Bible is consistently historically accurate, whereas those other books are sporadically accurate. And then the other thing about the Bible is that the Bible is has supernatural elements to it, like prophetic elements that have been fulfilled where some of those books have had some mistakes in them. So that's why uh, we accept the scriptures rather than those false books. Appreciate your question. Really appreciate it. We're going to come back with the mailbag in just a moment. So don't go away. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Redelnik. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. So glad that you are joining me today to, as we talk about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Here comes Trisha McMillan. She's got the FEBC mailbag. And we're so grateful that Far Eastern Broadcasting Company is partnering partnering with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line. You know, you can get a deeper perspective on how the gospel is advancing in the world's most unreached countries through the weekly podcast called Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon. All the details for this and much more about FEBC's extensive outreach can be found at febc.org. That's febc.org. And uh Here's Trisha. Welcome to the uh, mailbag sec section, Trisha. Thanks for putting the mailbag together. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, you know, I wanted to talk with you. I mean, people were here for Founders Week, and I had a great time with listening to open line people. I did a, a speaking engagement the other night at one of the Chicago area churches. They had me come speak about the uh, Arab Palestinian, the Israeli Palestinian conflict. That was kind of interesting. And as I was leaving, uh, it was mostly young adults that I went to speak to, about 150 young adults, maybe a little bit more. And then there was this other couple that were more, uh, I would say they were more uh, middle-aged, you know, more uh, fully adult as opposed to young adult. 
And uh, they came up to me and they said, can we get a picture? And I said, sure. And then they said, we're kitchen table partners. Yay. I was so excited. And, uh, and it was actually a, a wonderful couple. She had sung at Founders Week the previous week and was one of the worship leaders at one of the nights. And it was just phenomenal. So she was hugging me and he was hugging me. And we were having a great time talking about Open Line. And they said, we just believe in this so much that we wanted to be kitchen table partners. What's a kitchen table meant, partner? Well, that's it. I was about <laughs> to say. Uh, kitchen table partner are people who commit to uh, giving to, to Open Line every month uh, and uh, so that we can be on every week. And that's sort of the idea. And uh, they, they commit to do that. And I am so grateful to God for every one of our listeners, actually, but uh, especially our kitchen table partners who who do that. And, and those people who do become kitchen table partners, uh, what we do is we send you a special audio Bible study every other week prepared exclusively for our kitchen table partners. You get into the email, click on it. You get to hear a little Bible study that I do every other week. And uh, I th- I'm, I'm glad for that connection that we have, that special. Uh, now, people ask me all the time, how much how much is the minimum gift? There is no minimum regular gift. We're really grateful for whatever it is. But I think if I were going to think of a minimum for me, if I were to become a kitchen table partner, uh, I would, I would think that $30 a month and it's utterly selfish. Why do you think I say $30 a month, Tricia? Um, because then there are some benefits that they get. Like? Like then they, um, if it's a $30 a month auto gift, then they get 50% off all Moody Publishers, um, anything at moodypublishers.com for as long yeah. as they are doing that. Yeah. So 50% off. I, I think you can get a Moody Bible commentary, 50% off. You can get a Moody handbook of Messianic prophecy. Any of the Bibles. Off. Any of the Bibles. Bible dictionaries. Mm-hmm. I, Bible I'm studies. Just, commentaries. Yeah. Lots of things. Kids, because kids I, stuff. Yeah, I get so much. I um, I'm addicted to getting books, unfortunately. <laughs> but that would be a great asset to me uh, if I were to do it. So anyway, if you want to become a kitchen table partner, we'd really appreciate it. The number is eight 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 six four four seven one two two. That's eight 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 six four four seven one two two. Or you can just sign up online by going to openlineradio.org. And let's hit the mailbag, Trisha. What do you got for me? All right. The first two actually have to do with Jonah. Um, okay. We have a person who wrote us on Instagram and said, I recently had somebody tell me that Jonah died while in the whale and then got resurrected. And I had never heard that preached or taught. So did Jonah die or was he alive the whole time? Well, the reason people say that is that... In Matthew 12, the Lord Jesus says that the only sign that uh, this generation will get is the sign of Jonah, uh, being that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man uh, will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So they say, well, the Lord Jesus is using Jonah as the model, uh, so therefore Jonah must have died, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's the starting point. They're they're reading back now. I don't think that that requires it, but the reason they then go back to the book of Jonah is in his prayer when he's repenting in the belly of the fish. 
it says in verse one, he prayed to the Lord, his God from inside the fish. And then it says, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. Uh, now, so what they say is, see, Sheol is the abode of the dead. So it's saying what they contend is that Jonah was saying, I died in the fish and I cried out to you from Sheol. Now, the problem with that is that Sheol may indeed mean the abode of the dead. I don't think that, but it's a, it's, this is a psalm that Jonah wrote. It is poetic, and very often metaphors are used, like of Sheol, to say, you know, I was about to die, and that's when I cried out. It's not that he actually did die. I think that's very fanciful to say that based on him saying, I cried out from Sheol, because when I look in my scripture, for example, in the book of Psalms, it says in Psalm 116.3 in this psalm, then I called, uh, I'm sorry, 16.3, the ropes of death were wrapped around me and the torments of Sheol overcame me. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of Yahweh, the Lord, save me. Now, no one thinks the psalmist died when they read that. They say, oh, it's a, po it's a poem. He's feeling like he's about to die and he called out to the Lord. So I think that's all we can say when we look at Jonah chapter 2 verse 2, that Jonah cried out from Sheol. I think the parallel is that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Lord Jesus was to be buried for three days and three nights. That, of course, leads to the next question. What does it mean, three days and three nights? I'm going to say inclusive. Yes? Okay, I was going to say, well, that's Karen's question in Texas. Okay, is, is She was wondering about the sign of Jonah. We know Jesus arose Sunday morning, so did he, did he die on Good Friday afternoon, and how was that three days? Okay, so uh, inclusive time reckoning is how I do it. It is a figure of speech or an idiomatic expression. Uh, in Jewish writing in the Bible, in the intertestamental period, uh, for example, in the book of Esther, you can find it. You can find it uh, in the intertestamental writings in rabbinic literature. Any part of a day constitutes a night and a day or a day and a night. So any part of a day, there's actually, it's actually written out in rabbinic literature. Any part of a day constitutes a day and a night. So therefore, when the Lord Jesus says the Lord, that he would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, it doesn't mean, okay, we got to count one night, one morning, one night. It's one not morning. a literal it means, 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it is a part of three days. So Friday is a day and a night. Saturday is a day and night. Early Sunday morning is a day and a night because it's just an idiomatic expression, a figure of speech, so to speak. Okay. So okay. was Jonah then in the whale for? I don't know. Just parts. It, it could be parts of three days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that helps helps answer your question, Karen. Um, moving on to Ephesians, Beverly mm -hmm. in Illinois is looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses, well, the beginning of Ephesians, mm -hmm. and wants to know in the audience here, in verses 1 to 12, is that is Paul referring to Jewish people, and then starting in verse 13, it's Gentile believers. So I am flipping yeah, over. That is one of the arguments 
that the we sections of uh, the book of Ephesians, when Paul says we, he's talking about we Jewish believers, for he chose us Jewish believers. Uh, not us believers, but it's true of Jewish believers and also Gentile believers, but he's saying we. And then he turns in verse 13 when he says, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, you were also sealed and promised the Holy Spirit. So what he's basically saying is when we had this happen, when we were chosen, you know, when we believed we were chosen, we were redeemed, and we received an inheritance, and when you believed, you received the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, and all those other things as well. But uh, I think that that, that does come through as you read through the book of Ephesians that the we sections he's saying we Jewish believers the first to believe we received this then when you believed you received it as well okay so that would be a good mm-hmm. interpretation yeah I think that's on... valid yeah uh, it, it's a very careful reading of the text more in depth than most people <laughs> okay <laughs> but, but yes. those promises um, when he talks about we and us yeah. Um, they they do those apply still apply to, to Gentile believers. Yeah, absolutely. Because what he is saying is, we experienced this, and then when you believed, you experienced. You then got all of as, this as yeah. well. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't just apply to you, Doctor Adelnik. It applies to me, no. Tricia, yeah. as well. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. As a Gentile exactly. believer. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. okay. Great. Good. Well, we're gonna take a break. Thank, Thank you. you for bringing those questions. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's always fun. You can always write to us if you can't if you can't call. What you can do is write. Go to openlineradio.org. There's a link there that says "Ask Michael a Question," and you can just post your question right there. Trish will put it in the mailbag, and we'll try to get to it as soon as possible. You're listening to Open Line, and that was Trisha McMillan. I'm Michael Radelnik. We're going to be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. So glad that you are listening today. Uh, Before we hit the phones in a moment, I want to let you know, at this time, with what's going on in Israel, I'm sure people have a great deal of concern and uh, are caring about what's happening with the war in Israel. And one of the ways that you could pray better, I think, is with the Chosen People Ministries offer. It's called Israel the Land and the People. It is a kitchen table or a coffee table book, I would say, with all these wonderful photographs of the people and the land of Israel. And it's a great way to see what's going on there. You can look at the pictures, not what's going on right this moment, but you can see those pictures. You can see what the people are like. You can see what the land is like. It will give you a great deal of encouragement. And as you look at it, I think you'll pray. It's a beautiful book. You can get it. And it's yours free as a gift from Chosen People Ministries. For your free copy of Chosen People Ministries book, Israel, The Land and the People, uh, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down. You'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. And you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of the book, Israel, the Land and the People. I think you're going to love that. 
Uh, okay, we're going to talk on the phone now with Mark in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening on WGNR. Welcome to Open Line, Mark. How can I help you? Uh, thanks for taking my call, Michael. Uh, we were in Indianapolis last month attending your program and submitted the question. You didn't quite have time to get to it. Um, but my question relates to the early life of Jesus as presented in Luke versus Matthew. And I, I, I heard you mention chron- the chronological aspects of the life of Christ by Harold Honer, and I bought that book, and mm-hmm. it's still not quite clear to me. So in, in Luke, he's presented at the temple for circumcision when he was eight days old, and then you have the prophecy of Simeon and Anna, and then it says he returned to Galilee. And then in Matthew, you've got the visit of the Magi, and then he's got the dream that comes to him to tell him to flee to Egypt, which he does, and then it says he returned to Nazareth then. So I was just curious um, how, if you could clear that up for me, what, why the discrepancy or apparent discrepancy? Well, I wouldn't say it's a discrepancy. I would just say that uh, Luke was more concerned about the, the, the whole matter of the Magi and the flight to Egypt just wasn't a, a pressing issue for him. Uh, it says when they completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Well, they did, but they had some other events happen that Luke doesn't mention. And, and this is the benefit of having multiple witnesses. Uh, they, all that stuff, I think when Luke was writing, he says, well, that's periphery, doesn't fit my argument, I'm not gonna include that. But what happened was they, they completed everything according to the law of the Lord. That means circumcision on the eighth day, uh, dedication of the firstborn on the 30th day. And then what they did is they went back there in Bethlehem Joseph was warned in a dream. He went down to Egypt, not for a long time, maybe a few months, uh, just to have that event pass that Herod, the slaughter of the innocent. Then he was told to return. And when he returned, they didn't want to go. Herod had died in the interim, and they didn't want to go back to Bethlehem in Judea because what it says is... Uh, when they returned, it says they heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea. So Herod died and his son Archelaus, he divided his kingdom and uh, Herod Antipas was up in Galilee who wasn't great, but he wasn't as wicked as Archelaus. Archelaus was one of the cruelest rulers. He made Herod the Great look like a nice guy. And in fact, by the year seven or maybe eight, there was a delegation sent of Jewish leaders that went to Rome and they begged the Roman government to remove Archelaus because he was so bad. And that's how we got a Roman governor in Judea by the time you get to the, the, the trial of Jesus. Because, uh, you know, we have Pontius Pilate and not Archelaus. Well, the reason is Archelaus was so bad and that they didn't want to go there. And so uh, they went up and they stayed in Galilee. It's that whole story, that whole section is uh, just didn't fit the argument of Luke. Luke didn't think it was imperative to include, so he just picked it up right there. They they finished their obligations in the temple, and then they went up. Uh, I think the best way to understand it is to, that we have to harmonize the texts 
uh, that there are, when you have four gospels, you're going to get four stories and they're not going to contradict. They're going to complement one another. And so that way we, we can see that this is a part that was important to Matthew, but didn't have the significance uh, to Luke and he didn't include it. Okay. So, so after the, uh, the time at uh, Jerusalem at the temple, they went back to Bethlehem. They didn't go to Nazareth at that time. Yeah. Bethlehem is only about less than 10 kilometers away. It's very close. Uh, okay. So they went, they, I'm sure when, when Luke says it, it doesn't mean they left the temple and went right up to Galilee, even if, even if there was no trip to Egypt. Uh, I mean, they'd have to go get their clothes. They'd have to get their baggage, get their donkey, so forth. Uh, it's, you know, he just means sometime after that, they went up to, up to Galilee. Okay. Great. Thank you very okay. much. Sure. Okay. okay. Thanks for your call. Uh, we're going to take one call if, Peggy can ask really quickly, uh, calling from Illinois on listening on WMBI. Hey, Peggy, go ahead with your question. Hi. Oh, I, I just want to say I love listening to your program, and it's just uh, a privilege to be able to ask you this question. It's, sure. I would like your view on heaven. What is it? Where is it? And how can you be sure? Oh, my. Uh, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the presence of God. That's where it is. Uh, it's in the presence of God. I don't know if there's a spatial location that I could describe it as. Uh, when we often think of heaven and eternity, we're talking about the new creation, which will be a material world, a new heavens and a new earth. But that's yet in the future. After the resurrection, after the great white throne judgment, then we will spend forever serving God in a very material world, a new heavens and a new earth. But now we go to be in the presence of God when we die. And the way we, the way we can be in the presence of God, I'm trying to answer this so quickly, Peggy, is we need to put our trust in Jesus. We all do things wrong. We separate ourselves from him. And the Lord Jesus came. He died taking the punishment we deserved. He was raised again. That proves he's God. And he invites us to believe in him. And if you're listening and you've never put your trust in him, we can have abundant life now and eternal life with him forever in heaven, just as Peggy has asked about it. I hope that uh, that's a real quick answer to your question, Peggy. Thanks so much for it. And thanks for listening, everyone. That's the first hour. Second hour is coming up straight ahead. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. That page has a link to everything you're looking for, including our current resource, how to become a kitchen table partner, how to get the Chosen People Ministries uh, offer. Whatever you're looking for, you can find it there. Second hour of Open Lines coming up straight ahead with more of your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, the ministry of Moody Bible Institute.